Wow, a lot of exciting things going on from ladies' events on Fridays, and, and I know it seems like a lot of information, but most of all of that's going to be out in the foyer, uh, the classes, there's, there's handouts and different things, and there'll be more information about some of the other stuff that'll be coming along. But as you can see, we're fixing to kick off this, this season, and it's, it's purposeful in the fact that you need to be connected. It's not enough to just come to church. It's not enough just to have a place to come to church and then, and then go home and have nobody to talk to for six days and then come back to church. And, and that's not the routine that God called us to. He wants us to have connectivity. He wants us to have friends. He wants us to have and, and, and learn in the process. And so I'll explain some of that as I finish this sermon today. Uh, Chase has already kind of done preached it. I'm just going to uh, sum it up for you today. So he did a good job. I think I should have just let him just do it and then been done with it. But we, so far, we've, we've covered two of the points of my, three points of my sermon. And we've, we've talking about being part of the church, being the church, becoming the church. And, and so first to do that, as we studied, we have to believe. We have to be a believer. It, to, to be part of the church, you've got to be part of the universal church. To be a believer. And what does that mean, Pastor? It means that I understand that I am a steward then of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what we learned. You can go back to those in the first of the year. But we learned that I am a steward of the kingdom of God, which, which has no limitations. And my job is to bring that to earth. To, let, to become a conduit for God to use me to love to give, to care, to share, all the different gifts that God gives spiritually and, and, and uh, physically to be able to use that to bring His kingdom here. It's okay if you say, well, I don't have a lot of gifts. It's okay. He's got all of them. He, he's, he's simply just needing vessels. And so all of a sudden, we, we understand that part of this universal church, part of this local church, God is working. And then last week, uh, we began to the process two weeks ago to, to touch on the local church. How does that break down even further? So if I first believe, the second thing I have to do to be really impactful is I have to belong. Do you know there's 30 plus scriptures in the Bible, in the New Testament, that you can't do unless you're part of a church? You say, well, I don't have to go to church. Well, then you can't fulfill the New Testament. Because there's over 30 different scriptures that unless you're part of the body of Christ, unless you're working with others, you can't even fulfill those scriptures. So when you see people say, I don't need a church, yeah, you do. You have to. Because it's part of what God designed. He died for His church. He died for the people to be able to accomplish His work. First, individually as a universal church, but then corporately as a local church as we come together as individuals to accomplish things for the kingdom of God in the communities he's called us. That It's not an accident you're in this community. It's not an accident that you live here. It's not an accident that you go to school here. It's not you weren't born in the wrong place. You're at the right place. And God has said, I've called you to this work to accomplish here. So I, I don't know a lot about Ethiopia. I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about Africa. I don't know a lot about China. I don't know. I, 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 I at times give money to help in those areas and stuff, but I, I've never been to any of those places. I don't know. But God says, I put you here. I called you first to make a difference here. 
So this becomes the local church. And so if I can believe and if I can belong to the church, become faithful and let pastors and teachers and others be part of my life. That's what you see here is us trying through the church to help you grow, which becomes number three. Today, I want us to deal with the understanding of becoming. If I can believe and I can belong, then it's the church's job to help you become. That's our job. That's our role, the perfecting of the saints. What's the job of the church? To big buildings? No. To, to have a lot of people? No. Doesn't matter if you have four people. Doesn't matter if you have a thousand and four people. Doesn't really matter. Your job has never changed. I, I say this all the time. My job, it don't matter if I do this for 20 more years, will never change. My job has never changed from the moment I started on Bank Street. I had a few people. I had five or ten people. You know what my job was then? To perfect those people, to help them become the best Christians they could be. And as I did that, God said, okay, Tim, you're doing all right. I'm going to add to the church. It should be added. And God said, I'm going to give you some more to work with. And, and, and as I did that, and I grew to become better at it, to become more productive at it, God said, oh, well, I'll give you some more. And now you're creating disciples, and they're discipling, and you're discipling, and, and it's the process. And when you look at a healthy church, that's all that's taking place. When somebody says, well, tell me about church growth, it's real simple. You grow. It's not complicated. As you grow, God will add. God will take care of all that. As you develop and become better, then God says, I'm going to make sure that those things take place. So today, let's answer number three. How do I become, or to kind of put into perspective what Chase said about persevering and all of the words that, that he used, let's see how the process works. I'm always about process. So let's look at the process of persevering of becoming. Go with me in your Bibles to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 15. We're going to go to a few places, and, and it's going to say the same thing in a different way. Three different locations we're going, but it's going to say the same thing, but I want you to see it because one of those perspectives is what's going to hit you. So number one, let's, let's look at it like this. In Hebrews, here's what it says. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully what? Realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater uh, for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was... Now this is the process that Paul is saying, listen, he, just like he was faithful to Abraham, he's faithful to us. He, just like he makes promises to Abraham, he's made promises to us. When we read the Bible, it is God's word. 
Well, what does that mean? It means there are promises from God, and God says, I'm the highest there is. I can't make it any higher than myself. So if I have given you my word, then that's as high a word as there is. There is no greater promise that you will ever come in contact with. So what am I to do with this word that God, what we're supposed to do the same thing Abraham did, who heard the word of God and waited patiently until he had received everything that God had what? Had promised. Let me give it to you in points. Go back with me to verse 10 and let's, let's look at this real quickly. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. This is us being part of the what? The church. He's talking to the church in Hebrews. He says, listen, you as the church are doing these things. Y'all are working these things. But listen to what God will do. We do not, uh, we want each of you to show his, this same what? Diligence. Number one, in the process that he describes here, he says, what you need is diligence to the end. So when you sign up to become, somebody will say, well, I believe. Well, that's good. Well, I belong to the church. That's good. But are you becoming what God's called you to become? Or are you still wrapped up in things that you wouldn't want anybody to know about? Are you still entangled in things that you're not growing out of? Paul said, listen, here's what I need. The same diligence to the very end. Number two, notice how he says this, so that what you hope for may be fully. So number two, continue in hope. So that you can visualize it. So whenever there's something that God gives into my heart and my spirit, here's the way it works. God says, Tim, I'm, I'm going to give you something. Here's what I need from you. I need you not to quit on it. Well, what if I die? Well, you just work until you die. But you don't quit until you die. Even Job understood that. Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He has this mindset. He says, look, I can't touch him. I've been reaching east, west, north, and south. If I could talk to him, if I could get a hold of him, I would. But this I do know, that one day when I die and I get to see him face to face, he will give me an account for what has happened. Job said, let me tell you when I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit when I die and I see him. But until I die and see him, woman, you talk like one of them foolish women in town. Understand, my diligence will be until the end. And I will continue, and what continuing does creates hope. I will continue in this hope that he's given me, and I can visualize. So you can imagine Job sitting there, and he's thinking about dying. No, Job is not thinking about dying. He's thinking about what he's going to see on the other side. Because he's decided to walk in diligence, it's created hope which given him visualization. That's why Paul could later say, if I'm absent from this body, I'll be present with the Lord. Why can you say that? Because he was sitting in a prison probably fixing to die. He didn't say that like, well, here's a cool thought. No, he's sitting there under the curse of judgment on the, from Rome, and you're going to die. And he says, well, let's think about that. 
If I live, it's like Christ. And if I die, he's done got so much hope that he sees visualizing. But if I die, that's better. Man, look at, I can only imagine. I get to go see my dad. I get to go see my family. I get to go home. Lord, if that's what you're trying to scare me with, you picked the wrong thing to scare me with because all you're doing is growing my hope. So how do we continue? So that what we hope for will be fully visualized. We do not want you to become, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So my diligence creates my hope, eventually allows me to imitate the faith and patience of those who have run before me. And if you say, well, I don't have anybody in my family. You got Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So even if you grew up in a bad home and said, well, well my mom and dad didn't go to church. Who cares? I don't mean that. That's not, that's not letting you off the hook. You got Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Who did what? Who diligently lived his life. Who had hope and understood that I'm going back to the Father. Who imitated the Father's life on earth through faith and patience. So this is maturity. So what is maturity, Brother Lot? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It is not knowledge about God. When someone grows to maturity, when we say, man, what we want people here to do is grow, and we want you to mature. We want you to become the best you can be. What we're saying is, we don't want you just to have a bunch of knowledge and get lazy, and we don't want you just to have religious activities that you do. We go to church, or we, we stand in praise, or we give our offering. We just go through activities, and then we go back to our real life. No, no, no. Here's what maturity is. It's endurance. It's diligence. It's long-suffering. It's faith. It's patience. It's hope. It's good deeds, and it's loving when nobody else loves you. When you get to that, you're mature. And my job will be finished. I'll give you a plaque, and it'll say, you're finished. You can go home now. I'll just break it to you. God's never given me that plaque, so I'm probably sure he's, I'm not going to give you one. We're going to keep growing and maturing and becoming more patient, more loving, more caring. And we're going to wrestle this thing with endurance. And we're going to wrestle this thing continually expecting a better hope. And we're going to wrestle this thing with faith and patience, expecting to get what God's going to give us. And we're going to keep growing and receiving and becoming. And it's going to be a journey of life. And we're going to enjoy every stinking minute of it. That's life. That's maturity. Well, let me see if I can show it to you. Go with me to the book of Philippians then. And while I do this, let me, let me see if I can show it to you in a video. You got the video? Show them that video. As you turn to Philippians 3, we're going to see this video that will show you what I'm talking about. Nobody has to explain it to him. Nobody will have to remind him. Nobody will have to chew him out. He'll never make that mistake again. How many times have you said that about your Christian walk? Well, I'll never fall out of church again. I'll never quit reading my Bible again. I'll, I'll, I'll never quit praying again. 
Sometimes it takes an enormous amount of pain. This runner who is, who is winning the race, who is so far ahead, he's just, he's just like, come on now, man, look at this, look what I've done. And he's not noticing that somebody who has not quit has not quit running. He's, he's meters behind this guy. There's no way he can win, but he hasn't quit running. Which one of those two do you think God looks for? It's the one who doesn't run as a sprint, as Chase said. Like I said, Chase doesn't preach this. I'm just going to kind of touch it. But it's the one who with endurance never slows down. Doesn't have to run the fastest, but he never quits. He is growing continually. He is moving consistently. You say, I don't run fast. It's okay. It's not to the swift. It's not to the quick. It's not, but it's the one who endures to the... That's the Christian race. The world's race is all about how fast can I get there? How quick can I make my money? How quick can I do this? How quick can I, you know, get a name from 15 minutes of fame? Can I put a TikTok something on? Jesus and... The kingdom says that's not the way we operate. What we applaud is endurance. What we applaud is that one that never, ever quits. And what the church is designed to teach you is to be the person who never quits. So when somebody says, man, pastor, you got a great church, what he's saying is, I've got a church that shows up. I got a church that does. I got a church that loves. I got a church that cares. I got a church that helps others. I got a church. That's all they're saying. They're not saying, well, you got a pretty place. You got, you got good looking people dressed up really nice and got nice cars. That's not what he's saying. What you've created is a church that endures. You know how many churches closed during COVID? You know how many pastors told me my church will never come back? And I'm thinking, no, you just finally figured out you didn't have a church. It wasn't here to begin with. They were just coming because it was their activity on Sunday. It was their routine. And when they got broke out of that routine and got a new routine, they're just as happy. They were just as happy watching it on TV as they were sitting in in church service. Because nothing about their life was changing. When we had COVID, we start putting people in the parking lot and then we got a whole parking lot full of cars honking horns and, and rolling down the windows and, 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 and we got people with gas masks walking around getting, getting their offerings and with, with, with fishnets and it's, it's having fun. Why? Because the journey is what it was all about. Hey, we, we ain't finished. We're not through. It's just part of the life. Go with me to Philippians 3, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. For all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if not some point to think differently that to God will make clear to you. So so only let us live up to what we have already, what's the word? Attained. Let us, let us live up to what we've already attained. Let's read that one more time because I want you to get this because I'm fixing to break this down. All of us then 
who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to... So he says, every one of you who is mature thinks like this. Everybody who is mature has this mind. What mind? That if some point you think differently, so that means I've received, but I hadn't got it all. It means I've, I've, I've attained, but I hadn't attained it all. God then, through life, will make it clear to you what's right. This is the process of walking. This is the process of moving. Let me show it to you in a little different place. Go to chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So when God saved you and God brought you into the family and God, were you complete? Nowhere near it. Now you had attained a certain amount. You had attained a certain level, but you hadn't gotten all of it. For being confident in he who began a good work and you will carry it out until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. So when will you be finished? When you're dead and you meet Jesus. He'll say, you're through. He says, how long am I going to keep work? Until you meet Jesus. And, and until you've meet Je- met Jesus, just don't get all frustrated. You're still attaining. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and... For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. What are you saying, Pastor? There is divine, you can write this, there is divine initiative that is working in your life. There is divine, and God is God is completing the process. God is doing the work. God is is. But at the same time, running right alongside of it is human effort. So that I cannot have one or the other, but both must work together. That's what he's saying in the Philippians. If I had time to teach you the whole book of Philippians this morning, that's what we would get from it. Is that the divine nature is running along your human effort to accomplish God's ultimate purpose. That's the book of Ephesians. And what he's saying is, is that God who has begun a good work in you won't quit. And you who are working out your 
salvation with fear and trembling, don't quit. And as you work together, God says, I will accomplish everything I intended on accomplishing, sometimes through your effort, sometimes through me, but ultimately to bring you to maturity. Let me see if I can give it to you in points. Here's the way it works. You began. You began. The Holy Spirit came, touched you, awakened you, regenerated you. You began. Now, when you began, listen to me, you attained, but not all. Number one, you began. Number two, you attained. Man, you, 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 some stuff changed, didn't it? When you got saved, some stuff was easier. It's like, Pastor Lot, ever since I got saved, man, I hadn't done this anymore, and I hadn't done that anymore. But did you get it all? You attained, but you didn't attain it all. So God looks at you and says, press on. I don't know why I'm doing this. It don't seem like it's just press on. Well, what do I get if I press on? Well, number four, if you continue to press on, God will continually keep revealing new things. So what I couldn't handle at this level, God says, keep pressing, Tim. And as I kept pressing, God says, see, you're freer than you thought. You can handle more than you thought you could. Because my divine initiate, my divine virtue is flowing through you, and your effort together is creating a stronger Tim. That sounded easier when Chase said it because it just sounded real simple, didn't it? We just come up to an altar and it's just a, and, but there is a process. There is a process. So I began, I attained, but I didn't get it all. I press on, so God keeps revealing new stuff. And when he reveals new stuff, number five, he says, hold on. Whatever I've revealed to you, Tim, hold on to it. Don't let that go. That's more precious than silver and gold. That's more valuable than anything in your life. That, that what I have revealed to you is more powerful. So, so like my grandmother used to tell me all the time, Tim, I don't know much, but what I know, I know as good as anybody. So some of you that, that are saying, well, I, you know, I'm sick and everything. Well, I know I can be healed. Well, you never know what God can do. Well, that's where you are. I'm just telling you, I know God heals. How can you say that? Because we got the same Bible, don't we? But it don't reveal the same truths. The Bible can say, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What does that mean to you? Well, it means pray for people. To me, it means if I lay hands on you, something's fixing to happen. Now, I, I didn't get all that at once. But over time of pressing and stressing and working I was able to endure, to wrestle out, to tear from it. So, number four, 
God will reveal. Number five, I hold on to what He reveals, which creates more growth, which creates more strength, which creates more knowledge, which gives me more. Number six, I then become more mature. And I can move forward. I can't possess what I can't hold under pressure. That's why some people can't be married. That's why some people can't keep a job. That's why some people can't, you know, stay out of the bars. That's why some people can't keep lying. Some people can't. Why? Because I, I'm not able to hold it under pressure. Maturity just means that I have developed through my life the ability to handle that under pressure. How did you get there? When I started, I had a little bit. I'd look at people and say, I'm trying not to lie. And since I was trying not to lie, and I knew I wasn't supposed to lie, that's where I began. And then God says, listen, I'm going to give you a little bit, but you had not got it all. So I knew I'm not where I need to be. So what does God tell me? Press on. If you, if you say a lie, go back and apologize. That was painful. It's, it's bad enough to lie, but then when God just wears on you and wears on you, look, I need to tell you, I, I didn't tell you the truth about that. Oh man, I appreciate you, Tim. I wish I'd have told you the truth. I wish I hadn't. But, but that's how God is saying, press on, Tim. You're not there yet. Keep pressing. As I'm pressing on and I'm, I'm apologizing when I lie, guess what happens? God will reveal new truths. Tim, do this. Tim, handle this. And when I do, hold on to it. Let me give you a, a, a truth. Hold on to it. Now, if I hold on to that truth and I grow, guess what? I become more mature and I can move forward in my life. That's life. That's the way God operates in our lives. The opposite of this is to live by your feelings. And we live in a world and in a, in a society now that is overwhelmed by their feelings. So people will tell you, that's not me. You just did it. Yeah, but that's not really me. Okay. We got a problem. What you do is you. What you think, what you feel, what you imagine, the image you try to put on Facebook, that's not real. What you do is who you are. So what we need to do is quit living by our feelings, which, which, which makes us feel like we're in survival mode. That's why, that's why people don't interact well anymore. That's why they're, they're on these phones. Why? Because anytime I have to be open and honest, anytime I have to be in a group, I feel like I'm in survival mode. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to keep up this image. I'm trying to say something cool. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to dress a certain way. I'm trying to catch attention. I'm trying to, why? Because, because I'm trying to survive not being who I want to be. I feel dead many times. I feel like I'm going through the motions. And eventually what happens is, and listen to me, you'll eventually get to a point, if you don't grow, 
This will become your catchphrase. Whatever. I know none of you say that. But you'll reach parts of your life, your marriage, whatever. Your job. I don't like my boss. I don't like this. What are you going to do? I don't care what they do, whatever. You've taken a position to where your feelings are what's going to guide you and not maturity. Go with me to John John 15, verses 8 through 11. I heard a guy last week say this, and I wrote this down. You are not a product of your circumstances or your intentions. I don't, it's not even what you would want to be or what you would like to be or what you think you are. It's not, it's not what was done to you or, or, or where your background is. You are not a product of your circumstances or your intentions. We are all products of our decisions. Every one of us. We're all products of our decisions. He said, this is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my... He says, it's not what you say you are, it's not what you think. He said, this is how you prove that you are mature, that you have grown, that you can bear fruit. If you can't bear fruit, you're not that. If everybody you try to be friends with leaves you, you're probably not friendly. Duh. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, notice how he says this. This is not a feeling. If you Keep my commandments. You will remain in my... That's amazing how he ties that together. Because we say, well, I love you. Do you do what I ask you to do? No. Well, you don't love me. You're lying. See, our world is so messed up. This is so contrary. Well, you know I love you. No, I don't know you love me. Tell me what you did to me. Tell me how you embarrassed my name. Tell me what you did to me. And I'll tell you whether you love me or not. So we don't want that. We just want to be able to say the feeling, the emotion, which can change and turn. And, but commitment can't change. Maturity can't change. If I'm mature and I say, I love you, that comes with a whole lot of baggage. That means I got to do some stuff and I got to put up with some stuff and I got to endure some stuff. It means I can't quit on you. And he says, listen, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in, in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. He says, if I had not obeyed my Father, he said, guess what my Father wouldn't have done? Wouldn't have kept loving me. It's not me saying that, that's him. He said, just like my Father has loved me because I have kept his commandments. I have told you this, verse 11, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He said, here's the thing, you want to be happy? 
Don't live in your feelings. If you live in your feelings, you're going to always feel dead, whatever. You're going to have all these emotions and have all these issues and have all this stuff. He said, if you want true joy, obey the commandments and live in love. And when you do, my joy will remain in you. You can go to bed at night and go to sleep. You can rest at night. Why? Because I ain't lied to anybody. I ain't cheated anybody. I don't owe anybody. I didn't steal anything. I don't have anything hid under my house that belongs to anybody. I'm in good grace. I'm in a good place. I can live my life in peace. That my joy may be in you. Go with me to Proverbs 29 and 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off strength. Now notice that where we say where there is no vision. But the interpretation of this is revelation. Where God has not given you, remember I told you that when you endure, when you persist, when you press on, God will reveal. And God says, here's the thing. I give you a certain amount, and if you don't press, and if you don't grow, then I don't reveal. And if I don't give you revelation, people will cast off restraint. People will do whatever they feel like doing. But blessed, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom and... It's amazing how he ties those two together. We always just cut it in half. Where there is no vision, people perish. Oh, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom and instruction. So if you say, I don't have no vision, well, that's simple. You hang around me a little while, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. And then it's up to you whether you want to do it or not. Real simple. We don't want that, though, do we? We want our friends to always say good things about us and nice things about us. I think my, me and my daughter are at that stage right now where it's all, it's like, look, you need to wear clothes baggier than what you wear. You need, you need to cover your more stuff up. Now, here's the thing. Where there is no revelation, people cast off. So here's the thing. I would be doing her wrong if I didn't tell her, you need to know this. You need to fix this. You need to make sure of this. Because if I don't tell her anything, what's going to be her natural inclination? To go further. Yes, to go further. So I may say it harshly, ugly sometimes. I may say, look, that's just skanky. I don't know what words they use anymore. In my day, like a skank. That's pitiful. Or I'll say something like this to her. You ain't a billboard. I'm not putting you out for sale. Where there is no revelation, people will cast off. So what do people in our society do? If you say something bad about them, you say something negative, we call it negative, but you're just trying to tell them, look, spandex don't look good on you. Mm -mm. You ain't built for it. I can't believe you say that. I can't believe... It's like, mm mm. No, no, that's not, not working. Not in any society, that's not working. I don't care what they tell you that, that round is the new clump or whatever. It's, it's not, it's not, mm. 
Mm-mm. I'm telling you, can't, it don't. So you need people in your life. That's what the church is designed to do, to come into your life, to put you in these groups. Not to, not to be ugly, because we're just going to teach lessons. And, we're just gonna, and when we do this, God's going to say, mm-hmm, you get that? I've been telling you that. Well, you preached something the other day. I'm telling you, God just wore me out. Good. Because where there is no revelation, you will cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom and instruction. You want to have a good next five years of your life? You want to have a good next ten years of your life? Do what I'm telling you. See, Chase's was so much better than mine. Chase's was so much better. So go with me, finally, to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might for the praise, might be for the praise of His glory. He says, listen, the reason I'm putting you through this is so that your life will be good. I want you to have a good life. He says, I have predestined. And we use that word way out of context. I know people build whole theology. Predestined this and knows exactly where we're going to go. No, I believe it just like this. See, just like I talk about me and Caitlin. And I love that girl more than anything in this world. But see, when I, when I had Caitlin, me and Elise had Caitlin, I already predestined what I wanted. I already had a plan for her. I already had a design for her. Now, does that mean that everything is going according to my plan? <laughs> no. And that's okay. Because I've given her free will under the context of my... But whenever she's going to be around me, you know what I'm always going to bring up? The predestined plan that I had for her. Now, that, ain't, that ain't the way I raised you. That ain't the what I taught you. That ain't the way I taught you to treat people. That ain't the way I taught you to act. That's not the way I taught you to go. Look, I predestined before I had you what I was intending. And God says before... You were, I predestined the person I wanted you to be. Every one of you in this room, God predestined you, planned you, gave you your gifts, gave you your abilities, and predestined you to reach a destiny. You say, well, why won't God reveal it? The same reason He don't reveal it to me. He wants the journey to be revealed piece by piece. When, when, when I quit school and started pushing buggies and came back to Mississippi and did all he told me was I want you to be a minister and I'm like in my mind what a minister was I'm like oh lord I'm gonna be broke and I'm gonna be living in some some camper somewhere and I'm gonna just have nothing and and gonna be unmarried just shave my head and wear the same clothes and be a monk I'm like I'm gonna be like Paul gonna get my head cut off one day it's all gonna be bad God says do you trust me I trust you with what I know. Good. I give you enough. Now walk with me. Now, 
let me reveal. And I look back now and I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And God's like, never meant for it to be bad. But I could not give it to you all at one time. I needed you to trust me and walk with me. Will you stand? Out of time. So, so how do I become then, Pastor? First, I must be a believer. Must believe that He is and He's a rewarder of those that diligent, that I believe in God. Secondly, I must belong to a church, a body that God has called, not just anybody, not just a place where they do a sermon and send you home and you don't have... A place where I can grow, a place that challenges me, a place where when I'm sitting there, God's talking to me. And it can use Southern Gospel, it can use contemporary. I'm not trying to tell you the dynamic. It don't have to always look the same or be this. That's not the point. It's a healthy place where they understand that my job, our job as this church, is to help you become what God called you to be. And it may be uncomfortable, it may be strenuous sometimes, and we may ask you to do things that aren't as easy and, and puts you, but that's okay. Because ultimately what I'm supposed to do is become. Become the person that God intended me to be. How do I do that? Well, we always talk about here process. And for years, I've said this one thing, give us a year. I remember Johnny Cox telling me that. I remember you telling me that. Give me one year, Johnny. Just give me a year. Just, just sell out for one year. And it reminded me because when I was here again, gone last week, the guy up there that's, that I was listening to, it's, it's good to get to hear sermons because you forget the things you've preached and you've heard. And he said the same thing. He said, you know what our motto is? Give us one year. And I thought, you know why you say that? Because you believe that if somebody was actually in this thing for one year, what you're doing would impact their life. Don't just sit there for a year. That's not what I'm asking. Don't just come to church for a year, but, but give me one year. And I promise you won't be the same. Well, what does that mean? Well, first, let Jesus be Lord of your life completely. If you're in this room today and you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this year I'm giving a whole year. The first thing I need is for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. His voice is the greatest voice. His, His way is the way you're going to follow. He's Lord. Not just I believe in Him, I'm following Him. Secondly, be baptized. We've got sign-up sheets in the back. If you've never been baptized, make it a priority. It's the first commandment. To make disciples, baptizing them. If you've never been baptized, it's time. Be obedient. Sign up and get ready. Third, start a daily walk with God. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. 15 minutes. 
I'm not challenging you to spend one hour with the Lord every day. You'll spend about 10 minutes reading your Bible and praying. And you'll be like, what am I going to do the other 50 minutes? I understand. 15 minutes, read a few scriptures, close your eyes and pray. But if you, if you did that every day for this whole year, how much different would your life be? Every day, 15 minutes with the Lord. We spend 15 minutes trying to pick out what shirt we're going to wear. Some of us hour. Number four, attend church every single week. What if I'm on vacation, Brother Lot? Good chance to see a different church. My wife and my kids will tell you, when we go on vacation... And this is, here again, that's things I didn't do well. I'm not beating you up. I should have been a better dad. I should have been a better husband. I should have got their lazy selves up and got them to church. I should have. But even when I was on vacation, I'd let them sleep in. I'd get up. I'm, because from the time I was a kid, my dad made that clear. It's Sunday. We go to church, son. It didn't matter if we were out of town, in town, we go to church. Well, I don't even know what this church don't matter. Through the years, we've rode motorcycles, and when we on the weekends, be at a motorcycle, we'd go to, me and Johnny, I remember going us to church over in Destin, Florida, looking for a church. Decide this year, I am going to church every single week. I don't care if I'm on vacation. I don't care if, if I'm in bed. I'm going to find out if there's a church in this hospital. Number five, become a member. Start the growth track. Become a member. Get involved. Let me tell you something very seriously. And I mean this. We need you. We need you. This church is not where it can be unless you're your part. This church can't do all it's meant to do unless you're helping do it. We need you. I can't say that enough. Number six, be part of a life group. Because you need to be known. If you go to that life group and all that teacher does is talk all the time and don't allow you the chance to talk and you you let me know, I'll swap teachers. They're supposed to talk about 50-60% of the time, but the rest of the time is for you to be known. That's why it's called a small life group. It's not for them just to teach and talk for an hour. That's what church is for. That's what I do. But you're supposed to be able to sit in there and say, what's your name? Hey, tell us your story. One of the greatest groups we have right now is our Thursday night group, our recovery group not really recovery it's just a great group of guys and you know what makes it so powerful is that every week there's a different testimony somebody gets up and shares their story and it creates a bond there when you know each other's stories they had 40 plus people thursday night sharing their stories men men don't even talk yeah they do yeah they will 
sharing their stories, getting to know each other. Man, I didn't know that about you. I was in Wendy's this last week, and a guy came up to me. I don't know if he was there Thursday, but he said he was coming. And he said, I just I hate to bother you. I want to just share my story. And he was telling me about what God is doing and where he's at. And I thought, dude, he's just crying. And, he, he, he just, and I'm thinking, this is so awesome. People want to be known. Can't do life by yourself. Just find a place to serve. Ask any of these ministries. Ask me if you need to. Hey, can I find a place to serve? I, because there's a certain amount of joy that won't happen unless I'm loving on others. Participate in all the church events when we have revivals, when we have women's trips and, and anything you can afford to go to. And if you can't, check with them and they'll help you afford it. Anything you can be a part of for the years, say, you know what, I'm going to be at every event, Fall Fest, I'm going to help at the Easter thing, I'm going I'm to be part of everything that we do. And then invite friends and family to church. I'm going to tell you, it becomes a lot easier to invite friends and family to church when they watch your life like this. It becomes real easy to say, man, I wish you'd come. Well, I've seen, I've seen such a change in you. Well, hey, I wish you'd just come with me sometime. This year, I want us to be the church. Because there's a harvest that's already coming in. But they'll walk right back out the door if there's no church to love them, to embrace them, to care for them. If all that we do when someone walks through the door is we're turned around, if my greeters are talking to some friend they got and they miss the people that walked through, then we failed. We failed. Because God woke somebody up that morning. God brought them here. God gave us a chance with His initiative and our effort to touch a life. And I don't want to miss that. Will you pray with me? Father, God, thank You for what I consider the greatest group of people. And if I sounded ugly in any way, it was never meant to be. God, Let them see their value. Let them see that as they believe, belong, and become. That's how we change a world. Thank you for the church. I don't know where I would be without my friends, people to do life with, to pray for me. I don't know where I'd be without people to open up the Word and just show me things I haven't seen. I don't know where I would be. Thank you. Let us be that church this year. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give that devil fits.